and we're back. Oh, you sound pretty good. Let's see how that goes. Right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, you sound, you sound completely... You sound normal as opposed to before where it was just like... And I was like, oh, no, shit. Oh, that's not good. Hello, whatnots. Uh, welcome to Baxter Building, episode 20. I might have that number wrong, but I'm fairly sure. Um, I am your co-host, Graham McMillan, and with me is my esteemed, much more sensible, I just told him to hold his breath, and I hope he's not still holding his breath, and you are... <sighs> Jeff Lester. Hey, I did hold my breath the whole time. Check me out, world. Did, did you really? I really did, yeah. Hey, look at that. It That's, helped. Uh, oh, I'm better. I was very... just sitting there, yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, still, I'm, I'm very impressed. It's well, all I'm saying. Thank you. Thank you, Graham. Uh, but, yeah, we are we, we are continuing to read the Fantastic Four, uh, Marvel's Volume One of the Fantastic Four. Uh, it started uh, what almost a year almost two years ago with the great Stanley Jack Kirby issues. Now we are sadly up to issues one seven one through one seven four. <laughs> Although I will say this, I think we should just do one seven one through one seven three because I didn't realize that one seven four is technically the start of the next storyline. Yeah, you mean one, you one eight four? Right? One eight, eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. One eight four. Like you started, I was like, wait, what? This is huh? Yeah, it, it's. I was like, this is an epilogue, and then, but then it was like, oh no, this is the start of the net story. I'm, I'm, I'm very mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Jeff and I, in our preamble, have discovered that we are a house divided about these issues. <laughs> uh, so, so this is going to be exciting. Yes. You just wait, listeners. Uh, Jeff and I have have very different opinions uh, about these issues. It sounds like they are for the most part, done by the team of Roy Thomas and uh, George Perez. Actually, you there, know, there is a, a split in between. Yeah, there's actually a lot of work in there that's done by John Basima, like more than I remembered, which is interesting. Uh, and I have I have a story about the John Basima issue 175, but I'll wait until we get there. Okay. Uh, and also, not for the first time, Roy Thomas leaves in the middle of a storyline. Unbelievable, that guy. I, just, but also, that seems to be what regular writers do in this title. I don't think there's been a regular writer yet, by which I mean someone actually announced in the letters page of this comic as the ongoing writer, who has not left in the middle of an ongoing storyline. Yeah. I yeah, think yeah. that's what has happened to every single regular writer in the series, which is kind of amazing if you think about it. Uh, except for Stan Lee, right? Or am I mistaken? No, Stan Lee, I, I, Stanley, I'm fairly sure. Does left leave in the, in the He did, yeah, because Archie... Archie Goodwin oh, uh, finished up that storyline. That's right. Son of a bitch. Yeah. yeah everyone, everyone goes in the middle of a storyline so far. It's super strange. Also, this is the second time Ray Thomas goes in the middle of a storyline. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Clearly, people on the Fantastic Four cannot wait to get away from this book. <laughs> to the point where they just, they're like, you finish it off. Which, honestly... The storyline, as we'll get to later, really does feel like Roy Thomas is like, you guys just finish it, okay? I'm, I, I'm done. We are doing, like I said, 171 through 183. That is basically three storylines. Uh, a five-issue storyline, a one... Is it a five? Yeah, five issues. Yes. 
then a one issue, mm-hmm. then what is really a six issue storyline, but in the middle is a reprint because of the dreaded deadline doom. Yes. That, that comprises our 13 issues. Just for completists, I don't think Jeff and I are going to say a lot about 180, which is a reprint of, I think it's Fantastic Four 101. It is 101. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think there's a reason to talk about that particularly. So don't be surprised later if we go from 179 to, to 181. Yeah. Jeff! Shall we just dive in? Yes, yes, I think we should, Graham. Well, actually, before, unless unless you feel this comprises spoilers from the, to the audience, the last Baxter building that we had, you had read a bunch of the issues, and you'd read them twice, and the first time you were pretty crabby and thought they were kind of junky, and then the second time through, you were kind of like, oh, these are fine, these are yeah. fine. Yeah. Why don't you feel that that's the case here? Uh, honestly, mm-hmm. because I, th- uh, I think they're just worst stories. Interesting. I, I think, I think the quality is just lower. Oh. Um, I know that you feel differently about this, mm-hmm. but I think the first storyline, the 171 through 175 storyline mm-hmm. is kind of junky. And I think that the 177 through 183 storyline is a mess is a massively overlong mess of reheated parts that shows that Thomas has completely just run out of anything new to say about the book. And it just goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And that's on multiple readings. Hmm. Because I also had the same, like, huh, I wonder if this is like last time where I thought that this was shitty and then reread it and find something new to appreciate. No. I reread it and I was like, yeah, I still think that this shows that Thomas is just running on fumes. Hmm. I I look forward to you telling me why I'm wrong. Yes, I do too. Although I'm not really sure that I'm going to be able to present a weird, any particular strong case for it. Uh, The strange thing as well is I actually, we talked last time about how you had uh, childhood nostalgia for these issues. Yeah. I read a bunch of these when I was a kid as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I just didn't factor in. I was like, oh, I, re- like, I remember this cover. Oh, I remember this story. But it didn't make me like them anymore. <laughs> you know? Right. I was just like, oh, I, I remember this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I read these. Uh, I think I've told the story on, on regular Weight Watt, and I'm not sure if I've told it on Baxter Building before. But when I was... <sighs> eight or nine or something, Mm -hmm. there was a second-hand bookstore called Westwards in my hometown. Mm -hmm. Westwards was right around the corner from the the place where my mother worked. Mm -hmm. And on, I'm going to say Wednesday afternoons, it might be Thursdays, I might be misremembering, my dad would collect my mom from work. Mm -hmm. And I'd go with him because she'd finish late. She'd finish at like six o'clock or something. Mm -hmm. And I'd go with him. And more often than not, we'd go to Westwards first because my dad was a big reader and so was I. But Westwards had, for a very brief amount of time, literally stacks of old comics. Like just just piles. Hmm. Imagine, you know, 200, 300 comics in piles. Mm -hmm. uh, And they had like maybe four of those. And it's all 70s and 60s Marvel. Oh, man. Right? Hmm. And so they had, and I can even tell you the numbers from, from this run. 
-hmm. they had uh, 175, 177, 179, 181, and 182. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so I read these when I was like eight or nine. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was also like, there was a lot of Avengers in there. Mm -hmm. There was X-Men issue 39. Wow. Which is the issue where they all come out of their like blue and yellow outfits and get their new outfits for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were there was a lot of like Marvel triple actions, which were reprints of old Kirby Avengers. Yeah. Um, you know, there was, there was just a lot of this stuff. And and this was before I considered myself like I'm a comic collector, I'm a comic fan. Like I I just I devoured the shit. Mm-hmm. Like devoured. This was amazingly exciting, and they were all super cheap as well. Is the other thing, mm. like they were all. I'm gonna say I managed to get like twenty for a pound. Ooh, wow, that Do is you know amazing. I mean? You could just leave with a stack. Jesus, you know, uh, and and it was one of those things where like I got at least a third of all of those their their comics, mm-hmm. and then I remember going back one day and someone had just bought everything. Right, came in and was like, "Give it all." Exactly, I love it all because it was cheap, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember being heartbroken. I remember being like nine years old and being like, but what? No. <laughs> like, that's why I come to the store. What are you talking about? Um, so, I, so I read a bunch of these when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Like I read like half of the run when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And, and I coming into it, I was like, oh, I, you know, I, I'm kind of excited about this mm-hmm. because I liked, I ended up liking the last run of issues we did for Baxter Building. Mm-hmm. And, and I read these as a kid. So I was like, this is going to be great. Mm-hmm. Maybe that, weirdly like set things up unfairly mm. and so a lot of my displeasure is the fact that it didn't live up to that but yeah i just i think these are just bad comics hmm. you know I, I i think there's overall i i think there's there's just not that they're like astoundingly cliched in a way that early fantastic fours aren't mm-hmm. especially earlier roy thomas stuff mm-hmm. because you know roy thomas loves to rework his cliches I feel that, you know, I mean, this is a 13-issue run, Jeff. Yeah. And I feel that it is full of going through the motions. To the point where, you know, the second storyline might even be better than than I think it is. But but because I've gone through the first storyline, which is a a Galactus story, Mm -hmm. that, again, just feels like far too long. Like, at least an issue too long. Yeah. Uh, And and honestly, the Brute storyline feels to me two issues too long mm. and feels like they're looking for filler in the stories. Uh, especially by the time that Thomas steps off and you have, uh, uh, it's like four writers trying to, to finish yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, It really feels like they're like, Oh, how, how can we just like, how can we make this seem exciting? Hmm. You know? And then vague spoilers, the end of the brute storyline is lifted off of one of the most famous Fantastic Four stories. See, ever. and okay, so so let's let's you know? talk about this a little bit. Maybe this will be my entrance point. I mean, do, do we do we are we going to do this like out of order for a change? Do you want to talk about the brute storyline first? Um, let's not necessarily talk about it. Uh, we'll I think we'll get there because actually, in a way, to me, this is a decent introduction to the first issue. In a way, weirdly, let's just start with for people to keep you on the edge of your seats. Graham has stated, and he is absolutely right that the the 183, the ending of it rips really hard and heavy from a from a from an FF classic. And to me, the difference and Graham clearly on the record 
disagrees heavily. To me, the difference between what Thomas is doing up until that point um, is dif- is the difference between theft and quote unquote homage. You know, like there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> I'm really curious to the extent to which I feel like a lot of points that I've made in the Baxter building read through up to this point, I actually read this stuff and I wondered how much of it was really informed by, by this run, weirdly enough. So, for... oh, yeah, it's, I, I think, I think this is perhaps uh, because of when you read it and because of the way your fandom is and your, your experiences, I think these issues because I think we touched on this last time as well, are much more ingrained in your DNA than they are in mine. So it wouldn't surprise me if like a lot of your ideas that you've been saying up until now are informed by the, these comics. Right, which which is weird to me because it was completely unconscious. But I think it's... Sure, but you read them when you were a kid, Jeff. Sure. Like, this helps shape your Fantastic Four. Yeah, true. Do you know what I mean? Like, when, when Burns Run comes, across, comes over... Right. I'm sure I'm going to have a really similar situation because Burn is slavishly devoted mm-hmm. to the, the Lee Kirby stuff. And I'm sure I'll be like, no, it's homage. And you'll be like, no, he's really, really just ripping off, like, you know, FF number two. And I'd be like, no, but he's not. I, I honestly expect the, the tables to be turned when we get there. Because that stuff, I think, is my version of these comics for you. Could be. I mean, it could be. So That's, we're saying I'm younger than Jeff. Everyone. Right. Exactly. <laughs> there, there's definitely it's that. Um, but so, for example, death is a golden gorilla, which is the issue 171 and is the, the lead into the big Galactus epic. Uh, um, when I say homage, I definitely feel that that part of it is is by this point. I'm a big fan of Perez. I think more than Graham is generally and Perez and Sinnott together work really comfortably. I think they're a better, tighter fit than Basima and Sinnott. Um, and I think that Perez, who started out working under Rich Buckler, um, pretty much manages to uh, succeed and exceed what Buckler was doing, which is the pressure to have that kind of Kirby dynamism, but also bring something of yourself to it you know and buckler i think that apart from having you know an abundance of cyborgs and a tendency for people to end up in weird metallic uh crucifixing positions didn't really manage to carry that off whereas i think that perez admittedly for me what i think of is his work is kind of um uh, I don't know how to do it. A, a, a more tighter series of style. One of his big stylistic ticks is, in fact, rendering almost to the point of over rendering a page, like really pushing that to the level of there's too much shit going on here. He loves mm-hmm. his design elements to, to, you know, absurd levels. But um, so one of the things that I want to point out that I think is interesting is, is that Thomas in Death is a Golden Gorilla, weirdly, is playing with, he's doing a really f- weird swerve that, whereas I think Graham's like, this is very tired. I think that, that Thomas thinks that he's kind of being very clever because he's returned a few times throughout the FF with his love of the classic 
um, monster movie trope, which he sort of felt as a thing, I think perhaps rightly or wrongly, uh, as something that Kirby had brought to the FF as well. This isn't the first time that we've seen an enormous gorilla, you know, grab Sue and start climbing to the top of the Baxter building. One of the things that I think is actually really funny that Graham might disagree is, is that this is like the first issue of the coming of Galactus. This is this whole issue is a swerve. You read it and you think you're reading one type of storyline, which is there's a big mon there's a big monkey slash disaster happening. And at the end of it, what you find is, although he's not intentionally that way, Gore is another herald of Galactus in a way, you know? So this is actually Thomas's little riff on, yeah, the best way to bring Galactus into a storyline is to have a whole issue where the FF fight a threat and the threat isn't even really the real threat. Mm -hmm. um, and also it's worth pointing out, Silver Surfer, Golden Gorilla. Like, yes, that's actually that's a good point. He's not being subtle about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I'm... I feel it's going to defeat your your framework for me to say that I actually enjoyed this issue. <laughs> no, no, I, I I'm glad to hear it. That's it's, it's it. This and uh, the in, uh, Impossible Man issue later are probably my oh, two good. Things. Yeah, so, I was going to say the Impossible Man issue, which I really think is actually one of the get sneaks its way into the top five, top, maybe top three non. Uh, Lee Kirby issues of FF for me. So I wouldn't go that far, but it's definitely my favorite well, issue of this run. There's not a lot of competition. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, seriously, I, once you take Lee and Kirby out of this situation, what's that? You mean so far or in all of the Fantastic Four? No, 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 no. Up to this point, sorry. Okay. Um, no, I, I enjoyed this issue. I think this issue is, is super fun for the reasons you're saying. Mm -hmm. I think it is a fun play. That Thomas is, I mean, it is on the nose. He's he's doing the monster movie trope. He's doing the Silver Surfer trope, and it's the Golden Gorilla versus the Silver Surfer. Mm -hmm. and, and like you said, he's a herald of Galactus in a way. Mm -hmm. He's a herald insofar that he's warning of, as opposed to Silver Surfer is basically like, ah, here comes my boss, right. Gore. Also, I love that he's called Gore and he's a gorilla. I yeah. feel part of that is again childhood Graham story. Um, when I was a kid, I had a rubber gorilla toy that I got from a circus that I called, uh, I want to say, Gore or Gora. Wow. Of course. Of course that's what you call a gorilla. Mm -hmm. um, but but Gore is, is like, oh, sh I need your help, you guys. Like, right. you you guys know Galactus. Uh, Galactus is coming, and I need your help. Right. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a super fun issue. It's funny to me that you are praising... Perez's art as uh, channeling Kirby's dynamism mm -hmm. because I I think Perez's pencils here and especially his layouts are just horrifically overcomplicated and lack the Kirby dynamism for the same reason that Bashema did when Bashema was on the book, which is it, there's no space for dynamism. I, I guess what I mean is yeah 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 sorry i i mean definitely the dynamism in the figure movements and the in the poses definitely not yeah, in the pages I don't, yeah i don't i can see why you're saying it but i don't really agree mm -hmm. uh, in part because perez at this point is doing what perez at this point did and it does all the way through really new teen titans which is people are shocked and so you cut to a 
relatively small panel of people open mouthed with like beams shooting out their head. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's, I saw much more Perez than I saw Kirby, put it that way. Uh-huh. I, I, and I saw Perez melodrama and not Kirby. And everything I, I thought was Kirby esque really was more the rendering from Sinnet. Well, I, I suppose that's true. But I mean, for me, first off, I think that this isn't Perez's strongest issue of the batch. I think actually maybe next issue arguably is. It's got the stuff in there that I really like. But, uh, but for me, even looking at, say, that first panel, which is just something as kind of, you know, cliche and going through the motions as, you know, Ben Grimm punching an android, there's... Jeff! Jeff! Look who drew that panel. It's in the credits. Oh, Yeah. Oh yeah, you're right, Rich Buckler. <laughs> How funny! I saw that and yeah, then forgot. Yeah, that. Rich Buckler draws the first three pages, and for me, the first three pages are the best looking pages in the book. Mm. Well, that could be. That could. I mean, as in, I guess I technically agree because I did like them and they were part of my argument. But um, you know, uh, for me, like I said, let's jump over to 172. You know, the Golden Gorilla after being subdued is able to talk and tells. Uh, the FF that he needs their help to um, stave off Galactus. Only you four can stay is coming. I also want to break in and say that uh, 172 has a classic Roy Thomas title, Cry the Bedeviled Planet. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's great. I, 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 Thomas, uh, of course, every title in this run has an exclamation point at the end, but he does some great ones. Mm-hmm. Cry the Devil Planet is wonderful. Counter-Earth Must Die at the Hand of Galactus. Mm-hmm. A bit long, but wonderful. When Giants Walk the Sky is great. Improbable as it may seem, the Impossible Man is back in town. I mean, he... he See, he you just said part- ten minutes ago that you made a list of these titles and you said sure. that, that they were all dogs. No, the stories are dogs. Looking through the issues, I was like, oh, shit. Wow. But the it, titles are great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I, I, actually, I like the titles as well, Graham. So there's so many points where we're able to actually meet here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Cry the Bedeviled Planet. I'm a big fan of page two where Ben Grimm, and this happens a few times in the uh, issue, where the flashback uh, is part of a page layout that has someone speaking um i just dig that i like how perez and senate actually do the thing uh yeah frankly. i i really i really like their thing as well so uh you know the gorilla breaks free steals the fantastic car so they have to jump into the old flying bathtub car end up getting lured into a spaceship in central park you know again what secret I, wars well or that thing that was before secret wars wasn't there another earlier fantastic four issue that had the the spaceship in central park that they sort of get lured into or am i thinking Probably. of something else I see that's it i'm having one of those but, things so but it is one of those things where i was like when i read that i was like oh jim shooter totally ripped this off for secret wars yeah there was something else earlier that we were like huh so again i think there's there's a little bit to me where thomas is really hyper aware of the ff tropes and is having fun playing with them to even to that degree. And I think the other thing that I like that I can see where it wouldn't really um, fry your burger is the fact that in trying to come up with a way in which Galactus, a new spin on Galactus threatening uh, Earth, uh, Thomas comes up with the idea of having Galactus decide to 
uh, threatened counter-Earth, which is the Earth circling on the opposite side of the sun that supposedly we would never see. And Thomas, being Thomas, updates the science to explain, like, why that's bullshit, because he actually knows enough to know that astronomers have figured out how other planets exist in in the solar system without being able to see them, which I thought was kind of fun. But for me, what it really boils down to is, is that Thomas, admittedly, if this is the sort of thing that annoys you about Roy Thomas's work, is probably going to annoy you a lot. For me, it's a nice little confirmation of where mid-70s Marvel Universe is going, in that... Galactus is going to counter Earth, so the high evolutionary is involved. The high evolutionary being his ability, you know, basically being um, the cosmic juiced up version of Dr. Moreau has a variety of intelligent beings that he's created, of which Gore is one of them. Again, there's a double page spread, which is a beautiful info dump of Gore basically recounting his origin story and the coming of the destroyer, which is now Galactus's new herald in a double page spread with the FF kind of looking in there on in a sort of cl- teeth clenched awe. Mm-hmm. And uh, that sets us up to seeing uh, the FF arriving where the destroyer and the high evolutionary, actually the high evolutionary's asteroid is in battle with the destroyer. We get the thing in space in his little cybernetic suit, punching things up. And it eventually ends with another double page spread. This one, a little wacky of Galactus in space, confronting Ben on the surface of the little uh, asteroid and exactly suddenly a much more dynamic galactus who is telepathically communicating with ben yeah yeah because because of course the ad- okay so this this issue is honestly it's funny you said like this issue won't fry your burger you're totally correct mm-hmm. uh, as soon as the high evolutionary appeared i was like oh of course he does mm-hmm. um counter earth is a snore for me it feels like it immediately takes what could have been an interesting story and mires it in 70s Marvel like cosmicness, mm-hmm. which feels unnecessary. And then you get the, the silliness of Ben, go out and fight him. Just don't open your mouth. Right. And then he like Ben fights the destroyer. Also, why is the destroyer? Isn't the destroyer a Thor character? He is a Thor character, and he ends up when Galactus is in Thor, uh, ends up as Galactus's herald. His herald, right? Yeah. But, but yeah, so... They swap thing, Fire Lord, I think, fights, for the Destroyer. Thing then fights the, uh, the Destroyer for, like, three pages. Yeah. Thinking things like, oh, better not open my mouth, which is, on one hand, sure, lampshade the silly idea, but on the other hand, it really just draws attention to how silly an idea it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so, it the story already goes off the rails, and also, to... End your first part of your story as Galactus, and then the second part of your story as Galactus again. Right, feels very like, you know, honestly, this issue for me felt that it had no forward momentum mm-hmm. uh, because basically the cliffhangers are the same, and in between you just get a lot of info dumps. Yeah, there's a lot of info dumps, and, in and there. you get like you know a three page fight scene, but mm-hmm. it's a kind of silly fight scene, like I just said, mm-hmm. and the rest of the issue is info dumps. You know, and it, I, I was just like, oh shit! Like it, it's, it's. I can see why someone who loves Counter Earth and loves that stuff mm-hmm. 
be excited because hey, you know, it's Fantastic Four doing all this shit that's connected to Warlock. But for someone who d- cares little about Warlock and Counter Earth, I was just like, oh fuck. <laughs> right, which I which I get. But again, no. it, so it, it, so it, does, it, it I I can see why you and I had very different. Uh, experiences well yes definitely and but i definitely do want to point out that again we're getting a sort of situation i can see where you don't like the pacing and the pacing is is turgid if you're not into the um... if you're if you're not into what the info dumps are about yeah if you're not not it's not even like the get to counter earth Mm -hmm. you would literally have gore telling everyone about it right and flashback sequences well because there's a admittedly it's a really weird convoluted setup and thomas and trying to make sure that if you haven't you know kind of that need of making sure that a new reader understands what's going on it it gets pretty deep divey but it feels does it not just feel unnecessary to you (laughs) like i don't know i feel because this is another thing, and this really comes up in the next storyline. Mm-hmm. But we've just finished a parallel Earth story. Yeah. We're just off one, and now we're doing another one. Mm-hmm. And the story after this is another one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that there is. Well, okay, I can see. To me, the, my preference is I feel like this one ultimately, in a lot of ways, is done better. You you obviously disagree, um, and this may be you know if if well, Galactus's it's, herald I, I had been Guard, I think instead of the Destroyer, <laughs> you'd you'd be into it. But I, I I honestly I think in a way at least thematically Thomas is kind of trying to improve on what didn't work last time, and I think sure, but he's doing it immediately, Jeff. Well, sure, but I don't think I think probably because. <laughs> A, he doesn't really feel like he has that long left. I mean, it's clear that, he, you know, from the notes that he said that he was going to jump off at 178. And also, I think that he kind of feels like he has... Uh, part of my thing is is you're like, yeah, Thomas is tired. It's like, I think you're tired of Thomas, but but he has That's come up with, with... Thank you. But I think he <laughs> has come up with a... a we, I don't even know if it... If it goes very deep thematically i suspect it doesn't but he has basically taken two ideas of quote unquote god um and put them basically put them in collision with each other in this story it doesn't really end up going anywhere but it could be argued that that thomas is taking a more galactus as god in a strange, that strange sort of super energized Kirby um, Old Testament way uh, to a very strangely pneumatic New Testament uh, God of the high evolutionary. So again, I think there's something kind of compelling about that. I, I, but I can also see like, that scale is first off if you're not into the counter earth stuff you're not you're that's really not going to do much for you but additionally and also jeff i love you but i think you're stretching you're stretching like mr fantastic there. i don't think are you kidding look at the number of times that each of them refer to themselves as gods to one another as gods the sure, fact but that again, the high evolutionaries in think the about, sky think about and... but think about marvel dialogue and think about marvel aesthetics at this point mm-hmm. 
Like, think of how many characters describe themselves as gods. Like, when when High Evolutionary and Galactus have their showdown a couple of issues from now. Sure. There's, there's honestly, with the exception of they're both very big, there's nothing specifically new there. Bless you for coming up with a more interesting reading, but I think you're giving Thomas infinitely more credit than he deserves. Okay, again, you may not be into Counter-Earth, but we're... We're talking about Galactus eating a planet protected by a guy who created a Christ-like figure to try and save everyone that died and then, you know, ended up going off the planet. So I sure, I can see why that doesn't jive with your idea of a god, per se, <laughs> Mr. Heathen. But, I, wow. you know. I love what you just veered directly into assholism. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I, that, that line of reasoning would bear so much more water if Warlock actually played any part in this story. Uh, at this point, I honestly, because at this point, like you said, mm -hmm. Hyvelish is much more intergalactic cosmic Dr. Moreau mm -hmm. than he thought. Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, I, honestly, hats off to you for coming up with a reading that is more interesting than what's on the page, but I think you're stretching so much. I, I, I think that it's hilarious that you think that I'm stretching. I would be far I'm but I'm I'm just sort of like okay, I'd be I'd be less inclined to like yap at your heels if you were just like, yeah, but it's not done well and it's not especially interesting. And then I'm like It's okay. also not done well or interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well I also, basically know. I th I think this way, if the comic you're describing mm -hmm. was the comic I read, I'd like it more. Sure. But I see so little of the comic you're describing in the comic I read mm -hmm. that I'm like, your comic's great, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, I wish I, I wish I saw the comic you see in it. Right. Well, but I, I see so little of it that right. I'm, I'm like, I wish I saw the comic you see in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. So I think there is a problem. I mean, it, this brings us up to issue 173, Counter-Earth must die uh, at the hands of Galactus. At the hand? Just one. Uh, oh, well, it depends on... Oh, you're right. Sorry. On the cover, it's at the hands. And and outside there, it's, it's just the one. Another weird thing is, I guess, is what point is it where Kirby starts doing the covers? Is it... Uh, I want to say it was the last issue. Yeah, 172 looks very Kirby-ish. Although 171... Yeah, 171 is think is Kirby, too. Is it? Let's see. And don't forget, Kirby did the cover of the um, Quasar issues as well. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. You're right. I think I think with Quasar, it made it a little bit easier for me because there's a – because Marvel Boy is in no way a Kirby creation, I guess. Yeah. You know? And so, therefore, it's kind of like, oh, but there is a point when 173, looking at that cover, you realize that things are getting sort of dire in a way like <laughs> you know because it because it is this is the stuff even i as someone who loves it you've got galactus you've got the destroyer you've got high evolutionary you've got the fantastic four you know you've got you've got the collision of several different kirby created threads to create this new quote unquote story and really all of all of it is are Kirby creations. The only new character that is brought into this story is Gore, the golden gorilla who is, let's face it like underwhelming, you know, or the golden gorilla. Yeah. Well, don't forget this issue also reintroduces Torgo 
as if proving that uh, mm, right. was, not ready, was, one. Mm-hmm. was not ready to say goodbye to any of Kirby's lesser characters. Right. Torgo, the robot from the prison planet mm-hmm. that is, uh, the thing was kidnapped to in the, the, the dying days of the Kirby run, mm-hmm. to visit his planet because in a stunning twist of, I guess, Thomas trying to do something unexpected with the story, but it seems somewhat nonsensical. Galactus more or less says, I won't eat counter-Earth if you find me another planet to eat, but it's got to have people on it. Yes, Graham, it is in no way like the Old Testament story of <laughs> God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son in order to save people. Moving on, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes, this very nonsensical, like, yeah, bring me a planet and I'll eat it as long as it's of their own free will, or you can choose a planet of our, of your choice and I'll eat that. So the FF are desperate to try and get the impossible quandary. Here we get Thomas, again, actually very similar to the way that in the previous alternate Earth story in which he splits up the Fantastic Four into several teams uh, in, in fact, come to think of it, Johnny ends up with the with the, the non-FF ringer. Yeah, with the special yeah. guest star who is also suddenly crazily loquacious. Uh, and everyone sort of ends up in the soup. So it is a template that uh, is a little heavily deja vu-ish, I admit. Well- but also, we've given Thomas uh, shit in the past for being basically determined to recreate the stories of his youth. It's worth pointing out that when he does this, he's recreating Justice Society. Yes, I, it's true. And I was going to point that out as, as well. That, yeah, this is very much the good, you know, um, it, it's funny. As long as you, for me, as long as you're not trying to push the idea that Thomas is being original. You know, the the div- divvy up the team and send them up and have separate chapters of them going in different directions is a template that, like you said, has been used from Golden Age DC on. It it, it even gets, you know, broken out a few times I, during Lane Kirby's run, I want to say. But, yeah, and, uh, but what's really interesting is when he does it, and like you said, he's done it more than once, mm-hmm. um, every single time it feels very awkward with Fantastic Four, and every single time it makes me think, oh, this is what the Avengers do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm always like, I, you know, sure, the Avengers can do this, but the Fantastic Four, you don't split up the team like this. Yeah. Well, because I, 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 I couldn't tell you why. I couldn't tell you why we have that. I, like, I have that particular like, sticking. It's also, in this issue, he makes the point, as you said, um, Gore goes with Johnny. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben goes with Reed. And Sue just has to stay behind. Well, okay. But again, in this way, one of the things that uh, I want to say, part of what I enjoyed about this is we're getting to a stage where the FF are, for me, mostly acceptable characters. You know what I mean? Like, they're more, (laughs) they're themselves, but they're more well-rounded. The fact that Reed says, like... I, you know, Sue, you need to stay because you're our backup. Uh, and and she's like, I don't know if you're saying that just to say it, but okay. But sure. But yeah, yeah but you know, but like, I actually appreciate, I, A, I sort of bought that. B, a lot of reads like super snappy, super dickish alpha male 
qualities, which even Thomas had sort of started out with the first few times around, he's softened significantly. And Sue has become just stronger as a character overall without the usual sort of, you know, um, lampshading or, you know, ridiculously overwrought, I'm just as good as all of you male chauvinists that, you know, that, that, that only the man who created the liberators, you know, could have brought to the scene. The, the, things have changed. Even, even grim, even, even the thing is closer to the way that you, I feel you have talked about the thing, sort of the thing from Marvel two and one. And he's less of a, He's he's just less of a dick, you know. Yeah, he's... and also he's less of a, uh, and especially at this period where he's Ben Grimm in a thing suit. Yeah, he's much less of a oh boys me everyone is against me and I am a monster. Right. Well, and he even start. What I like is he even starts by complaining like oh shit I'm not as strong enough. Oh I kind of don't like this. It's it's not something that gets reintroduced at every issue. I, I really feel that Thomas is kind of got a handle of, if not actually writing the FF as characters with character development, he's found a way to portray them that fits in well with the times, I suppose, and arguably becomes uh, one of the first steps toward making the characters less interesting or less dynamic, I suppose, you know, but in a way as, as someone who at the time then, and even now was reading these as kind of comfort food, uh, I'm kind of okay with that. So <laughs> it's okay. Like I, I can, I can totally see it from your point of view, but I, the characters are less interesting. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I you know I, the, 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 I have I have a you know I have a problem with like the characters fight for the sake of fighting, right? Um, but this stage it's almost entirely the opposite, mm-hmm. where the characters all agree because the characters, with the exception of Ben and occasionally Johnny, mm-hmm. don't really have much of a personality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, where they're yeah. just like, yes, let's do the right thing. Right, right. Bump. Um, there's this this issue uh, one seventy three has the great line where uh, Reed says, "Snap out of it for Counter Earth's sake." I don't know why that line I find quite so funny, but I really do. I do too. And in fact, it's so funny. I you probably did not know this, but I posted a bunch of um, screenshots on Tumblr today uh, since I was reading the issues. I thought it would be fun to to put some of the screenshots up there and that is exactly one of the panels that I threw up on there in part because it just sound it sounds like a ridiculous oath I guess you know exactly it's, for counter earth's sake Jim. oh for counter earth's sake Graham you know but yeah um, I'm trying to think about a super fast plot synopsis of this issue uh, like we said Galactus basically says I will spare counter earth if you find another planet mm-hmm. the team is split up in order to do that Ben and Reed go to Torgo's home planet where unsurprisingly mm-hmm. Torgo is not cool <laughs> with surrendering his planet to be eaten yeah um, and meanwhile, 
Johnny and Ben, uh, sorry, Johnny and, and Gore weirdly go to like a fairy tale planet. We, I, which again, is that weird, like, haven't we been here before? Like how many times have the FF ended up on kind of a generic fairy tale planet where it's, again, part of this is thrown off by the deja vu of me reading this when I was 10, but I'm like, no, 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 no. There's that weird point where like, we have the Jerry Conway stuff where the shape of worlds where suddenly there's a castle and, and knights in there that, you know, on, along with the JDs and stuff. But I'm like, but isn't there something in the Archie Goodwin issues where someone, is it the thing? Does he end up in like a, I don't know. All of a sudden it's just this weirdo. I, it, what's amazing is, is that there are three planets, spoilers, Roy Thomas, builds continuity ties into two of them. And the third one, which seems the most familiar to me, uh, is just like, no, nah, that's... Oh, I guess actually there's a continuity tie there. So actually, again, there's this weird thing where where for Thomas, the, the nodding of previous continuity is... has got to be at least half the fun. If you don't find that fun, um, you know, these issues are kind of, like you said, the... The, the splitting of the teams doesn't work. And at every every issue is just kind of layered down with a ton of explanation. What is, is really interesting is you and I, when we did our Avengers read-through, mm -hmm. uh, praised Engelhardt for doing this sort of thing. Right. And the difference is Engelhardt does it in a way that seems fun and inclusive. That if you haven't read the original source material, or if you just don't have that much affinity with the original source material, if you still are enjoying the comic you're reading, it'll be fun. And for me, as someone who doesn't enjoy the Counter-Earth stuff, doesn't really enjoy the Warlock stuff, doesn't enjoy the High, Evol High Evolutionary stuff, the Fantastic Fourness of this story mm -hmm. is lessened by that. Right. Well, and I feel that, that Engelhardt's... Because Engelhardt is just as continuity porny. Oh, as he Thomas is. is, but in an additive way. Right. And I feel that Thomas, you really have to be, you really have to enjoy what Thomas is, is, is picking. And Thomas is at almost every opportunity picking up a, a thread or an idea from someone else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, you know, spoilers, 174, uh, it's revealed that, uh, the, the fairy tale planet is get this everyone scrolls. Right. Uh, and I like the scrolls well enough, but it's done in such a way that it's like, oh, fine, fucking scrolls. <laughs> you not like he made the scrolls not fun. Well, uh, so I think um, to, to to return to your point, what really helps and what you make say is inclusiveness. I think honestly, it's just the fact that uh, Engelhart is incredibly knowledgeable. But he's also, God help us, he's an entertainer, you know. Thomas is a guy who really does want to entertain, and, and certainly many people thought so for a long time. But there's enough of the his career as a high school teacher, you know, creeps in around <laughs> the corners, and what? he's pedantic, you know. He's very That's, thorough. I was going to say the problem with Thomas is Thomas is too much of a fan. Well, I feel there, Thomas is like weirdly respectful of everything in a way that doesn't let him play with the ideas. Uh, uh, well, again, you can you disagree, Jeff. 
And well, because you, you don't too. seem to think that my definition of play either exists or is interesting, so <laughs> I'm kind of stalemated on two levels there. But I think I think that I think that Thomas is just at this stage is when you compare him to Engelhart, I admit it, he's not as fun a read because because Thomas will take a page or two pages to recount the history of something that happens in all of these issues where it's two pages, maybe more to recount something that Engelhart would dash off in maybe two or three panels, you know, yeah, he, or, or just wouldn't <laughs> yeah, like Engelhart would also just like have, have a character basically say some variation on don't bother and have a caption, you know, telling you if you're yeah, interested. Like, exactly. Yeah, you know, I, I, yeah. Tom, for Thomas, it's very important. Like you know, he's done the homework. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, he's read these stories, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's Jeff. That's not fun. No, I totally get it. I totally get it, Graham. It is. It is not especially fun. Uh, for the most part, I as as a kid, I w was into it, and I can see the appeal of it now because there's a weird. There's a weird Gnostic text thing, you know, that that happens with comic book fans that you, not all of them, but some of them. And I was I was definitely one of them where it's like there's all this stuff that's in there. And when it starts overlapping like that, it, it it's kind of it can be really juicy in that weirdo nerded out way. Even with the things that you don't, because I hadn't read the original Torgo stories when when we read this. So uh, um, when I read this the first time as a kid, so it was kind of like, oh, why? you know, it points to these other areas, creates these stories that you think are, you know, going to be more interesting than they are. I suppose. Well, I, what's really funny is you you say that, and, and part of me is like, yeah, but Jeff, these aren't interesting. But I also. I'm suddenly reminded of the fact that uh, I think I've talked about this before. The uh, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe was like that for me. Mm -hmm. Like it was full of stories that I'd never read and for all I knew never would read. But there was something like there's an entire universe out there. Right. Right. Yeah. And who knows? It could be. I, I think that what's wh what's acceptable about the handbook is, is that there's no. There's no story that it's derailing with that. Yeah, you know yeah, exactly. Um, that's that's why you're reading that comic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, you're literally reading it because you want someone to nerd out at you. Right, right. So, but but for myself, I think there was having hit this stage, having grown up during this era in Marvel, this was considered deeply um, acceptable, I guess. You know, so it's, I don't can, know, it's very strange. Can we, can we take a, a, a moment to talk about something else that Roy Thomas has made not fun? Mm -hmm. And this is not like, oh, Thomas is terrible because Thomas introduced this idea. But a lot of, of these issues have, uh, oh, a thing, we're captured. Don't worry, I can get out of my suits. Mm -hmm. And not to spoil anything, but the, the, the era of thing in his thing suit it's very short-lived mm -hmm. and feels amazingly unexplored and wrote already. Right. Like by 174, which is, what, six issues after it's introduced? Mm -hmm. It feels remarkably unfun. Mm -hmm. Was, did you get that as well? 
Well, I think I do think what was interesting for me reading this batch is how much more rent, mental real estate it took up in my head. You know, the fact is, is that probably because I was reading this stuff in real time, you know, six issues is like half a year. For me, there's a lot of potential that 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 Thomas is fond of sort of bringing up and then dashing to the rocks. I could have sworn the whole subplot with the brute went on so much longer than it actually did that when I read it, I was like, oh, Jesus, Jeff, really? Like, this is like you know, fucking two and a half issues tops. So I think that, again, Thomas, I, I I think that there. when you say that Thomas is too much of a fan, I agree with you in that he's doing things that he thinks are really funny or very clever that sort of are, but sort of aren't. Like you said, if you're at the point where you're just not on board with the ride, uh it becomes super it becomes tedious like you said but in fact the 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 way that that thomas has come up with a new way for the thing to escape a trap by turning back into ben grimm like that's something that's been done before but it's never been done this way and that's the sort of sort of byzantine noodling that thomas I think is excited by and expects all of us to be excited by. Oh, sure. Thomas clearly is, is like, I was going to get off on it, which sounds... I was actually going to use almost the exact same terminology, weirdly enough. Yeah, but, but but he it, like he's this is his thing. Well, and that's it. And I think it's like, it is, look, look at my twist. Look right. at my twist on the idea, you guys. Right. Well, and I and I think that this is probably I think that is I think that's probably why you did use we both use the phrase get off is, is the idea that it, it's practically like a sexual fetish. And of course, any fetish is overwhelming to the person who who has the fetish. And just downright dull to everyone who does not have it. You know, it's just, you're like, yes, okay, the shoes, yeah, okay, yeah, all right. Fuck, really? Toenail polish too. All right, no, that's, I'm, yeah, let's go with that. I mean, it really is. You look at that (laughs) stuff, and if you're outside the fetish, you're like, I'm okay. You know, so. Sure, okay, if if that's the thing, yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I think that they're, you know, again, I can having, ha, weirdly enough, having read 150 issues, uh, well, you know, 179 issues of the Fantastic Four by the time we got here, like, I, I'm like, uh, I, I'm less of a comic book fanboy than I was when I was 10, you know, or even 30 or something like that. But there's part of me where it's like, I'm much more read in the Fantastic Four to where I'm like, oh, I kind of see where Thomas is really is doing weird, you know, the cover band, but he's like, kind of like, oh, I got a totally great way that this song segues into that song, you know, yeah, that, uh, that just, you know, again, is... And I think this is this actually is going to be really interesting when we get to someone like Byrne, um, who is like 
such a who's i think in many ways is literally a revolutionary you know what i mean by the time when he's when he takes over his whole idea of how to treat the ff you know the that that sort of reverence he's like no 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 yeah i get the reverence i don't have any reverence for like roy thomas i have reverence for lee and kirby and in order to get to that i'm going to take it first where it's where it's where it hasn't been you know again there's this idea of like you know there the the this book is is joe sinnott's book more than any individual other creator on it in a way because when Senate's really firing and it seems you know quote unquote like the ff you know because it's his work anyway yeah, so because it looks like that. the the most important part of the plot of 174 before we move on is yeah. it starts with the high evolutionary saying fuck it i'm gonna have to do it myself yeah and sue essentially is overruled by uh trying to help the rest of the team she teleports herself to the third world, which no one has visited yet, which is a barren and empty world and collapses. Meanwhile, the end of the issue is that the High Evolutionary has grown himself super big right. and goes to physically confront Galactus. Yeah. Let's get to 175. <laughs> 175 is, as I said, one of the issues I read when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. 175 has a uh, Kirby cover, yeah. which... I'm going to be polite and say is Lesser Kirby. Oh, yeah. And it has John Buscema pencils and inks. John Buscema full art. And as a kid, Jeff, I thought this was an ugly-ass comic book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really, really, really was like, what is... Oh, no, I like the Fantastic Four, but what is this? Mm -hmm. This is terrible. Yeah. I actually really liked the uh, Perez and Senate pairing. Mm -hmm. That are in the other issues. Yeah, that that felt like the Fantastic Four to me. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the the Busima art and the the Kirby cover in this. Ooh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And that that is one of the things that I find really interesting. Apart from something like uh, the picture of Galactus at the bottom of page two. Two. Yes. Yeah. Which has, which is weird because I'm like, that's fully Basima, but it is the closest. It looks so Kirby, doesn't it, it? It really does. The closest that that Basima, a dude who you know has been forced into that, you know, trying to approach that that Kirby approach, he just somehow gets it there. I think in a panel where he was kind of like, I just don't give a fuck. Like it was kind of like I should re-render this, but nah. you know, and it's like, oh, that's lovely but yeah, that, I, that really works yeah you know and i mean i think this is the you know for what i said of like oh this is this this is thomas's thematic idea like these two concepts of god that are clashing part of the reason why you're like you're reading too much into it is there's no way for that idea to it goes it, it, it exactly. Is... If, if that's the concept, it is realized by two giant guys zapping each other. Right. Well, see, and that's it. If ever <laughs> there was a guy who is not going to deliver on that premise, it's John fucking Basima, who I adore, but does not dig this shit, as we know from when he was doing the previous appearance of Galactus, which again gives this much more of a reheated leftover... Um, feeling that i think a thomas was thinking and b i think what he was really 
when he started it was kind of hoping was going to end up being delivered. And so you get all kinds of, again, there's the stuff that's there that we've seen before. People try and trip Galactus and then he just floats and is like, didn't you guys forget? And it's like, they're like, yeah, I, I guess we did forget that you could well, yeah, that, I, It's you know? kind of hilarious mm-hmm. that, you know, everyone gets up there and they're like, let's physically attack Galactus, because that's always worked in the past. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, it's kind of, and it is, it's, 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 in a way, it's one of the problems with Galactus, but it, it is also the literalism of it. So you really get, uh, you know, the story which Graham didn't like and which I dug uh, up until this issue just collapses like a souffle, like just a horrible, horrible fart souffle. Because it, you... it is an astoundingly bad finale. Yeah. For even someone like me who thinks that it's a bad story overall, the yeah. finale is just laughably bad yeah basically it's galactus the high evolutionary the ff get involved they look like they're fighting him to a standstill which is ridiculous and then sue shows up and is like hey i found a planet they're willing to that's willing to be uh devoured by you and galactus looks through the veil of time and space and the planet is basically a bunch of people being like yeah do it. Come on. Go ahead. And Galactus is like, well, this, okay. there's no way this could be a trap. So he pops in his ship, flies over there. And then again, you know, when you want galactic grandeur, John Basima is not going to, which is amazing because there is a way in which Basima, through his run on Silver Surfer, is so... Uh, it is, you know, kind of so in, in the the firmament, I suppose, of Marvel's cosmic creators in a way, because you look at the influence he's had, especially in, you know, some places like Italy and stuff like that. It's really amazing. I guess apparently the his Panini reprints of Silver Surfer were, you know, uh, but but that's that is the Basima that is a long ways away from Basima of '76 who just is like, I don't want to do this. And chances are good. Thomas has overplotted it. All of which is to say, if you think that the first half sounded anticlimactic, the scene in which Galactus sets up, prepares to eat the earth, and then basically cries Dies out in of pain. Indigestion. It, tie, it turns into a giant cosmic brain and then, yeah, dies of terminal indigestion. I can see where, again, this and the other little bits of of Ben Grimm being blasted by Galactus and not and seemingly nothing happening to him is you know Thomas thinking that he's being very clever and and, and it could arguably be said is I know that Graham wouldn't make that argument I I'm if pressed I might try but I was going to say, you don't sound incredibly eager to make that argument either, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. But, well, because part of it is I'm I'm not a very imaginative guy. And the and the fact is, Basima's pencils really do – this has all the heft of a fill-in issue. And it's, and it's issue five of a grand finale that, you know, that could have been um, – I, I think, I don't know. I, for myself, I was okay with all of it up till now. In fact, I was like, hey, this was, what the hell happened here? And 
it's, it's it's a terrible, terrible finale. Um, shall yes. we actually explain why Galactus dies of terror of digestion? Yes, we should. Yeah, or you should. Uh, you because done. Sue isn't Sue, you guys. Sue's the impossible man. It was the impossible man's planet. They all thought it'd be fun to die because they're all actually still the impossible man. Huh? Uh, and hey, the impossible man's back because of course he is. Waka, waka, waka. Right. Yeah. Which again, in theory, is not a bad idea, but somehow the execution makes me hate the idea. Yeah, I, I'm, I am, I'm more fond of the idea, and I'm also, I don't know, is it just, it's a, it's, it's kind it's, of, a... yeah. Um, and also, the Galactus zaps Ben Grimm in the thing suit to yeah. punish him by turning him back into the thing. Yeah, which is so, just wrote and uh, I hate that plot twist hate, hate it so much mm. because it honestly just feels like Thomas was like I've got to turn him back into the thing somehow mm-hmm. sure Galactus zaps him with his eye beams and it does it why not yeah well I, uh, again I think I like that more than you do I suppose, because I think there's a little bit of the, again, there's such the Old Testament God rendering the curse, you know, cursing the Silver Surfer and cursing Ben. And again, I feel like Ben's got that weird, way back in the early days, there's a lot of this strange cursed man of God oh, stuff. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah you know? Yeah. If you're going to have a God has cursed one in the Fantastic Four, it's not going to be Johnny, is it? Right. I mean, it's going to be Ben. Of course yeah, it is. It is. And so there's kind of a, um, it says, it really says a lot to, of how, I think how bad this issue is, or for Graham, how bad this entire arc is, that something that should be thematic, feel thematically right, somehow does feel, um, just entirely wrote. Entire, yeah. Like, of course that's what happens. Deep, deeply banal. Deeply banal. I'll say that. Yeah. You know? and it, it, it really is very, very disappointing. Yeah. And I, and I think there is a lot of, you know, when we look back, just looking back at that, the, our last Baxter building, where we're talking about that shot of Ben Grimm, like, as... As as cyborg Ben Grimm or you know super suit Ben Grimm thinking like oh this could really change things for me I could actually move forward with my life I could really Alicia and I could start kids I could have a family you know and and it's this weird like oh there's so much pot- potential here and I think part of the thing that is also disappointing about that turn of events in 175 is is it's literally been for all intents and purposes just one storyline really and 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 there was no there's no real way to explore it as i recall there's a note i think in one of the letters pages that all of the stories in marvel 2 and 1 take place before Ben before. loses his power and then yeah, conveniently yeah. like just blip right over to over. And so there's not even a chance to have that explored in Ben's own title in a way, which just really, again, makes it feel that, that, and that's where I think I, that's kind of where I think can see where you would be, super annoyed or where people where where the warning flags start going off where that thomas's 
Thomas's shtick really seems like shtick because the illusion of change is so much an illusion. It's not even really to be taken seriously, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's just by teasing that sort of evolution of Ben Grimm mm-hmm. and then just backtracking on it in such a lazy way. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally you get a page in 175 and then a brief scene in 176 of Ben just being like, ah, what you gonna do, motherfucker? It it feels, I mean, obviously, you know, in retrospect, they were never going to do any of it, but it feels like they're almost saying, you idiots for thinking we were going to do that. <laughs> well, it like feels weirdly d- dismissive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it does feel dismissive. One thing that I think is is worth pointing out, and I don't actually know if this is true because I read, uh, I read all of these on Marvel Unlimited, and I've loaded up like the first batch of the of the GIT uh, things on my iPad for us for this discussion, but uh, there were a few issues in Marvel Unlimited that I guess because it was reprinted from an omnibus or whatever that had like the letters page, yeah, a letters yeah. page, and and the gist that I got was that. The Ben, the cyber suit thing idea was not well received at all. Um, although I could could be wrong, or maybe it was skewed, or I don't really know. But I kind of got that sense of maybe Thomas was like, "Ah, this idea is a real dog. I gotta get, I gotta aborts, aborts, abor- exactly." And no worries, I can undo this in in one storyline or less. You know, so I don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, there is a there is a th- the interestingly the part where um where the thing says, "Ah, I've pretty well come to t- terms with things. It's Alicia I feel sorry for mostly." It's kind of again, I, that's that point of I can see where you're like the characters are less interesting, but I do feel that that's almost the final stage of oh, here's 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 Ben Grimm the thing, as we're going to d- see him and you know here's here's basically he's finally become fully lovable Ben Grimm like you yeah. know uh, a little bit of a complainer but even he's aware of how much of it's shtick and he's finally gotten over himself enough to where he can be big hearted and concerned with other people and you know becomes more of a well, you know, the nurturing character that, that that we're kind of used to thinking of him as, I suppose, you know, in, in some ways. So uh, maybe since I, I sort of in my bad rambly way recapped a lot of those five issues, do you do you want to recap 176 since you liked it or? I mean, 176, part of me thinks the recap would would lose the the joy of it. The, yeah. uh, 176 is essentially the uh, Impossible Man and the Fantastic Four come to Earth. The Impossible Man discovers comics and goes to Marvel Comics' office mm-hmm. and, and wants to be a comic book character. And when he is uh, refused, goes on a rampage. Yeah. The, the fun of the story is that it is the most self-referential comic that Marvel has published at that point. And they've published Not Brand Deck before this. Yeah. Like, th- this is literally fun because you get to see, 
like Roy and Stan and Jack, you get to see jokes about the various many Marvel editors in chief mm-hmm. uh, to that point. And it, it's it's really just a. I, th- I mean, don't they call it on the, the first page something like the most offbeat story? Right. Maybe they don't. Maybe I'm maybe I'm totally imagining that. No, no, no. Um, no, no. I... But 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 they they uh, it it really is just after the five issues that we've just had mm-hmm. of of just like you know oh every like you know this is the most overblown story ever. Everything is important. Is Galactus going to do this? Or if you're doing your reading, Jeff, like this amazingly heavy uh, religious parable. Mm-hmm. It's it's an issue of just fucking off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 gloriously fun. Mm-hmm. It I, is. I I agree. I I yeah. It's it's part of me is like I wonder if it is fun for everyone, or if it's just that we're such fucking nerds that we appreciate jokes about Archie Goodwin is the editor in chief, but he's only going to be the editor in chief for two seconds. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. Right. is is it fun because we've read Marvel Comics: The Untold Story and it's not actually a fun comic? But also, I don't really care because I enjoyed it. Yeah, well, it is. It 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 is the. Um, I think it's the the flip side. You know, I think I think there's a case to be made that for those people who believe that everything that's wrong with Marvel Comics, the the second generation or the next wave of Marvel Comics, this the Bronze Age essentially post post Kirby, post Lee, post Steranko, post you know fill in the blank. Uh, is that you got, you know, portentous, overwrought epics that really meant very little but were just Byzantine continuity noodling, or you would get really nerdy in-jokes, you know? And and that's that's what this is. This is like, oh, let's take the bullpen, you know, the Marvel bullpen, and we'll put them in cameos, and we'll will blow that out to a ridiculous degree. And it's also Thomas revisiting an idea that was set up in the earlier issues of the Fantastic Four, the idea that Marvel publishes the stories of the, the FF, but they're, as they're essentially licensing the stories from the FF, and the stories are, are quote-unquote true. You know? Yes, that the Marvel is a journalistic organization yeah. in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. That they are, they are reporting news they're right. they're telling memoirs so i think i i pointed this out on on the tumblr thing and at the at the risk of driving you absolutely crazy again graham uh is there are the things that i think there's there's apart from just the fun of it there's a really interesting little point where Roy Thomas is in conference with George Perez, Stanley, and Jack Kirby, and they're complaining that they don't literally have a story and they don't know what they're going to do. And Jack Kirby says, "Like, why don't you guys just make up some stories?" And I and they respond terribly. Yeah, and I I love. There's something that I dearly love about that. I really have to give Thomas a lot of credit. This is a guy who Jack Kirby let's let's say that Thomas's portrayal of Kirby is far more generous than Kirby's <laughs> yes. portrayal of Roy Thomas' house Roy, Roy yeah. yeah is um uh, downright gracious considering it was quite the slamming but 
I do think there's and something also really recent by the time this had happened. Oh yeah, comparatively, yeah, it's just just a few years apart, really. And uh, I I appreciate the fact that uh, I mean, not only not only is Kirby treated with the with the utmost respect in it, but there's also something that I think is really interesting it is that out of all those people in the room. You have Kirby, who is the guy who's returned to Marvel Comics, and apart from conceding to draw covers and Captain America, uh, is not revisiting any of the characters that he created and is has been talking about his preference to create, well, I guess in the Black Panther, create new characters and new ideas. And here you have him in the story being like, why don't you guys just make something up? It's a really interesting form of I, I don't think that it's conscious self-criticism by Thomas I do think that Thomas is smart enough to to know what he's pointing at when he when he's saying it but it is fascinating to me that after following up a five-page epic in which everything but a goddamn golden gorilla was created by Jack Kirby you have Jack Kirby saying to a room full of people why don't you just make something up and Everyone in the room is basically, well, actually, Thomas and Perez are like, oh, oh, yeah, maybe we could do that. And Stanley's like, are you insane? That's that's not what Marvel Comics is about. It's that's kind of fascinating. You know what I mean? Like in, in the middle of everything else where it's like, oh, here's John Vetropathin. Here's the editor in chief door drawer door that has half a dozen names like written down and crossed off it, which according to Thomas actually existed at one point and, and they worked into the story. Um, in the midst of all of that, you've, you've got a Stanley that is portrayed more like a J Jonah Jameson character. And he a... really is right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Stan I... does not come off well in this issue at all. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I think that I think that that's a level of I. I want to say that in a way that is Thomas being. I don't feel like he's really biting the hand that feeds. I think that he's just thinks that he. I think he knows Stan enough to where he can tease him, and he doesn't know Kirby enough, or certainly is aware of Kirby's feelings enough that all he wants to do is treat that guy respectfully. I mean, there's a whole letters page here that's uh, in just a column by Roy Thomas talking about the creation of this issue, which I completely had forgotten about. Um, this and a few other pieces, like the what if piece, Thomas is dying to write with have Kirby draw a story and have him write it. He's dying for that. And it's fascinating the ways in which Kirby goes on to shut that down during this tenure. Now I was thinking of this and also that what, what if, where it's like, what if the Marvel bullpen had become the fantastic four, uh, which Thomas had, you know, revealed like that was kind of his idea and he wanted, he pitched it to Kirby with the idea that Kirby would like draw it and Thomas would write it. And Kirby's like, nah, I would, I, you know, he's just, he's a way he's not going to let that happen, which I think is fascinating. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. You may disagree with me with all of that grammar and I don't doubt, but surely you have to say that by the time you get to the FF picking up the dramatic turn of the issue is a classified ad that says, are you a bonafide supervillain in search of togetherness? I love that. 
The, fancy, the Frightful Four are now accepting applicants for membership at the Baxter Building, former headquarters of the Fantastic Four. No previous supervillain group experience necessary. I mean, that's the dramatic spin. It's it's really a comical issue. Like, some of the best yeah. parts in this run, which I know you don't like, are Thomas being funny, you know? Yes, yes. Because Thomas can be funny. Mm-hmm. I talked before about Thomas doing a really good Rob Randek. Thomas has a good sense of humor about this stuff. And Thomas, as a fan, understands what is funny about this stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and, and 176 is a really good comic because it is a funny comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so, yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think what's that is like it's 171 through 175 is just dire to me. Um, 176 is super fun. And then 177 through 183 is if the last story was dire, this is dire plus. <laughs> and so much potential for it to be otherwise for example 177 uh which is called look out for the frightful four mm-hmm. uh, is would later go on to be defender for a day the two-part storyline in defenders that everyone likes it's a super fun issue yeah it really it's is everyone everyone is auditioning for the defend for the frightful four mm-hmm. and for the most part they're unsuitable for many reasons yeah. uh and it's 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 a funny issue yeah. And the reveal at the end is, we've got this new member. It's the Brute. Oh, shit. And once the Brute comes into it, all fun in the Fantastic Four dies for six months. Yeah. But the um, this issue is really funny. Mm-hmm. There, there's, you know, whether it's it's Thunder coming in just to beat up the Sandman. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Um, whether it's the wizard more or less saying we're not involving any woman because every time we involve a woman, things go wrong. Right. It's and funny. then and then right yeah. after he says that, Tiger the Werewoman shows up and he's like, uh, I'm kind of, yeah, I could see how this could work. And, and exactly I think... Exactly, while Sandman's still like skirts. I, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it is really, really funny. And, and uh, Captain Ultra, who comes in, who can do everything, but is so scared of flame that he... He falls apart when uh, the wizard lights a cigarette. I mean, there, there's there's a lot here that is genuinely fun. Yeah, and like the Golden Gorilla intro to the the Galactus Counterearth storyline, mm-hmm. it's it's a prologue that is so much better than everything that follows. You know, De- okay, defend the brute storyline to me, Jeff. I, uh, well, okay. Uh, before... Also, should we just? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Before we no 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 yes because I was going. Do you mm-hmm. want to just like instead of going issue by issue through the brute storyline, just basically say what it is? Because uh, for me, the brute storyline really does bleed into like a number of issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's the Tom written issues. Uh, uh, they bleed into each other rather than me being like, and then it's this issue, then there's this issue. Right. Uh yeah, I why uh, why don't you why don't you try and recap the the overview of it and then we'll we'll dive into the bits and pieces that we either okay like or this load. this is this is colored by my take on the brute storyline. You guys, you might remember we've just met a, an alternate Reed Richards. Guess what? Here's another alternate Reed Richards, but he's a bad guy. He is a bad guy who first of all teams with the Frightful Four. And defeats the Fantastic Four as a result. Holy shit, you guys. 
in the final showdown with the Frightful Four, Reed takes on the Brutes. It's very exciting. One of them's wearing clothes, one of them isn't. Who's who? Then they disappear. They come back. The Reed who's wearing clothes, our Reed is there. He's being victorious. The Brute, he's gone to the negative zone. Oh, well, that's a bit unfortunate. But hey, we're all together again. Everything's fine. But no. The Reed wearing clothes is actually the Brute. He's taken Reed Richards' clothes off him. He's thrown Reed into the negative zone. What's going on? Is Reed just going to be floating in the negative zone aimlessly like he's done two times before? You bet your ass he is. But this time, he's going to kill a bat. That's right. He's killed a bat. You know it's shit's gone serious. He's <laughs> killed a bat and he's eating it. And he, he's not got clothes. That's terrible. Shit, here's a Nihilus. We better team with a Nihilus because a Nihilus is pissed off as well. Oh, crap. I, I see. I'm just giving up the will to live already. Just doing this shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you want to take over? Because honestly, I'm like, I hate all of this. Um, there's there's a robot in there, isn't there? Don't they fight a robot for some reason? Oh, Thundra and Tiger kind of join the FF. Yeah, which is kind of fascinating. Thundra is, of course, wants into Ben Grimm's Rocky Pants. Turns out Tiger does as well, for no immediate reason other than to set up a love quadrangle. Yeah. With Ben Grimm. One of the fun things is that Ben is completely disinterested in everyone other than Alicia. And Alicia does not appear in these stories. Yes. Which is kind of wonderful. That it is a love triangle, but it is a love quadrangle because someone who does not appear in these stories is who Ben actually wants to be with. Yeah. There's a robot that breaks out of a bank. Yeah, some... which is still one of those, I... like, I'm trying to think, like, they... And they made it sound like it turns out that it's activated because it was trying to get back to the negative zone. Is that oh, because it's yeah. the mad oh, because it's the mad thinker. Okay, got yeah. it, got it, got it. I totally uh, forgot about the mad thinker. But that's like a retcon because the mad thinker only comes in after Thomas leaves the 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 book. The the while Reed, uh, while uh, the Bruce is pretending to be Reed, something I do like about these issues is that Sue knows. Like, almost straight away that something is up. And also works out pretty quickly that it's the Brute. And goes bizarrely to Alicia mm-hmm. to to be like, I gotta talk this over with you, Alicia, because you're gonna be great help. For this stuff. is the weird thing. is Because I, I thought, again, in that weird, like, Thomas um, superfan kind of way, her logic, which is insane and yet works for a Fantastic Four concept, is basically Alicia can always sense the truth about these people she will know, which is admittedly not something we've seen in the last 24 to 36 issues. Oh, sure, but, but if you it, think back to Alicia with the Silver Surfer, like is, she, yeah. she was noble even, Yes, uh, just, just by touching him. Yeah. You yeah. know, we used to joke that Alicia was psychic. Exactly. Because, she, because that was her, her thing. Exactly. There is, because of the robot breaking out, This the robot thing is just the most ridiculous subplot. Ben and Thundra and Tigra and the Impossible Man get in a standoff with the military. Yes. Which goes nowhere. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's that robot subplot is the weirdest waste of three issues. Yeah. Which is one of my problems with this arc in general. Mm-hmm. You have the brute so burn, burn plot and everything else seems to be playing for time yeah. to make that last longer. Yeah. Uh, because the robot plot really goes nowhere. I mean, really literally goes nowhere. They pretty much like beat the military off panel mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and then go back and they're like, hey, we got this robot. 
which and the robot doesn't really do anything either because the robot is like ah, it's the mad thinker of course sure robots you know right. mad thinker why not long story short too late they finally go to try and rescue Reed. They realize Reed is really Reed and the brute is the brute. There's a fight. All's well that ends well. <laughs> well you fr- I, that's literally me being like, fuck it, because 183 is just... Uh, uh, the brute throws Sue out of building when she confronts him. He, she's rescued by Tigra, Thundra, and the Impossible Man. Uh, Annihilus teams with the other three of the Fantastic Four to deal with Mad Thinker because that's why Nihilus has to deal team up with the Fantastic Four and in the end this is what I alluded to earlier the Brute sacrifices himself to save uh, Reed Richards just like the fake thing sacrificed himself to save Ben Grimm in This Man This Monster Yes. the end yeah. and if that sounded like a convoluted boring mess you guys, these six <laughs> issues are a convoluted board. I I'm actually down with uh, the book until about maybe halfway through 179. Oh, but actually, before I get to the stuff that I like, that you can wait, shake so your head sadly over. So wait, 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 no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Before I get there, okay. you Graham have talked about several times throughout our Tumblr and what have you about your love and appreciation of Ron Wilson, who yes. pop, who is the guy who uh, props up, whose art props up the back half of this from like 179 through uh, one. I want to say 183, but I think he's no, 182, and then Sal Basima. 183, like... Sal and uh, Sal Basima does 182 and 183. 183, right. So there, I guess there's really just two issues where it's Wilson and Senate, and then oh, two who issues. Who are great. It's just me or it's Wilson and Senate really good. I was curious. I was curious I since really, you hated really, the everything. Yeah. No, no. Ron Wilson, uh, Ron Wilson turns out only does 179. I think he does 181 as well. But may, let's yeah, see. Uh, let's see. 180. He come on. He yep. does 181. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does he do 179 as well? Yes. 180. <laughs> Remember, everyone is the fill-in issue. Yeah, that's uh, right. Why we're hopping over that. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. He does. And also, uh, I we should also say that 181. I think is Thomas's last issue. On 182, 183 are done by an army of writers. 181 yeah. is scripted by Bill Mantlo. Sorry, 182 is scripted by Bill Mantlo, but plotted by uh, Len Wein, Jim Shooter, and Archie Goodwin. Yeah. So that's four different writers. And then 183, I think, is the same. No, 183 is just credited to Mantlo. Yeah, right. But it's... And also, the, uh, we should also say that Mad Thinker only comes in when Thomas is off the book. That's so right. that means you have two issues of this robot subplot. And who knows if that was always meant to be the Mad Thinker or not, because the Mad Thinker only enters when Thomas is off the book. Yeah. Yeah, I... I... It's a mess, Jeff. This, this storyline is a, a... It's a six-issue mess. This is honestly the storyline where I was like, oh, when we snark about this is the origin of Marvel today, this is the origin of Marvel today. It's an <laughs> overlong mess. <laughs> it's it's a mess. Uh, it, it What I think is interesting is, is that it, again, suffers from what ends up hobbling the Fantastic Four. As you point out, there's no real desire to wrap up storylines and i sometimes wonder if that's because people feel they 
get on the book of the FF being like, oh, this will be very exciting, and quickly realize I can't do anything with these characters. I can, nothing's really going to matter. You know, you can kind of get your kicks for a little bit being like, oh, but what if I, you know, dot this continuity I and cross this plot line T, and then eventually you're just like, fuck it, just let me off the book. I think it's telling that I think part of the reason why some of this drags is, according to Thomas, who I don't really have any reason to distrust in this matter, he was going to leave at issue at the end of 178, which ends with as big and as juicy a cliffhanger in a way as you can imagine in that the brute has thrown Reed Richards into the negative zone and is and is um, basically laughing in the mirror saying like, how's Annie? How's Annie? Over and over again. Well Sure, but I read that because he says that in the letter column. I read that as basically I extended this plot because I knew I was staying in the book. I didn't read that as I planned to leave a cliffhanger. Hmm, interesting. I don't see how it would have any juice. Well, let's put it this way. Well, okay, I, I, before, I, before, I, yeah, I think mm -hmm. he would have just thrown the brutes in the negative zone, and that was it. Like it, I think, I think he would have just had like ah the brutes, you guys, and and like. Then Reed would have been fine. It 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 could be because there is again the thing uh, that I appreciate again in an abstract way that I I feel that I feel that Graham will either belittle or deny in in a, a, an interesting tactic of some sort is is that we've talked before about how the negative zone stories are always about Reed Richards confronting his shadow self. That is that that is a thing that we're you know seems really apparent and i think is fascinating the extent to which i thomas before he gets the, on his last storyline is like fuck it i'm doing a reed richards fights reed richards and throws reed richards into the negative zone to make that whole shadow self idea you know utterly literal in a in a way that that you know as as only roy thomas can do it's like i've with, come with up his with a way. second fake reed richards of yeah. his run yeah exactly yeah so i mean you you've had that you've had the good fake reed richards here comes the bad fake reed richards i have to say that although graham uh thinks that uh the humor dies in 177 it, i think that, i think the fun dies <laughs> the I, i'm not limiting it to the humor jeff i think the fun dies i I think that despite the brute you get in 178, an amazing sequence where, um, again, Thomas being aware of the FF tropes that we've talked about, brings takes the weird obsession that the Fantastic Four comic book has with presidential cameos to an an apex. He on one page where the New York mayor is trying to figure out how to afford the ransom to release the FF. He actually picks up the phone and calls exiting president Gerald Ford, incoming president Jimmy Carter, and most amazingly enough, failed presidential candidate Ronald Reagan, uh, who yes, is going uh, to uh, future president, future president, not, you know, not just future president, but like the defining president of the second half of the 20th century, as far as, you know, the people in charge of the media are concerned. And so steady on Jeff, <laughs> you, you, it's, uh, it's a, to me, that's a stunner 
of a F Fantastic Four deep cut, and it is actually followed by the um, exterior shot of the New York skyline with someone asking off-panel, Mom, if the F Fantastic Four get croaked, will I have to go to school tomorrow? Which, again, really kind of funny and very irreverent. I also have to say that the... Um, the Impossible Man, as he appears here, especially when drawn by Perez, weirdly enough, I think because Perez somehow can't over-render the character the way that he does every other single character in the book. Um, the Impossible Man has a lot of appeal and also weirdly fits into this niche that the FF will never get to, but could have. Because essentially the... The Impossible Man is a child. He's a super-powered kid. And in a way that Franklin Richards can never be. And there's something that's kind of weirdly wonderful about his presence for me in that sense of he's clearly just a, a classic um, deus ex machina who's going to get the FF out of any situation as long as you can sort of get him interested I mean in the earlier pages of 177 he breaks in with everyone else into the Baxter building and gets distracted by TV and essentially while everyone's fighting and losing to the Frightful Four and the FF are in a death trap he's essentially sitting there watching TV and the only way that he ends up saving everyone is TV it it's 3 a.m. and it goes off goes the off. air. Yeah. yeah. And even then, it's not like he tries to get the, you know, snaps back to attention and, and tries to fight the Frightful Four. He actually just ends up trying to get, you know, rewire the fuses and blows out the, the building's power and the traps. Um, I really kind of like the idea of the, weirdly, the FF having a kid character, a superpowered kid character like that. Um, worked in a way for me that I kind of liked. So this issue, um, I did dig. And of course, the Brute as... One of the things that's really a shame is that, that the Brute is thoroughly an evil shit in this uh, in a way that the Brute is not in the issues of Warlock where he first appears. In issues six and seven, he's kind of a... He's essentially Reed Richards as the Hulk. And so he's a he's a good guy when he's Reed and when he turns into the brute, then he's an evil shit. And Thomas's whole idea to make him an evil shit both ways seems great, would work, except it's that horrible, hoary old he gets hit with a canister on the back of the head that turns him evil, which is um which e even... I, I, I like that that is your cliche too far. <laughs> it is. That is my cliche <laughs> but, too far. But, but yeah. I like that, that that's your line. Yeah. Um, you couldn't really do the other way, though, because you've already had... Like, I don't think you do read Richards as the Hulk, because you've oh, just no, done no, Reed no, no, Richards no. as the Agreed. Thing. No, no, no. I agree. I, I, I would have preferred a more sophisticated way to make the Reed evil. Richards brute evil. That's all. Yeah. I actually very much like. Like I said... You get evil read in a way that Thomas is aware that this is kind of what the FF has been skirting around for a long time. And interestingly enough, it's in his run when he comes back in and takes over that 
takes a lot of the air out of those particular tires, but the idea of how much of a mess is Reed Richards and how 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 much of Reed Richards dark side is tied up into the the his science how much of how much of his negativity is the negative zone that you know thomas is like okay i'm really excited to take this idea and make it manifest by the time that he does not only does reed not feel in that place anymore so it doesn't feel trenchant at all but i i think that there's um i think once he gets to that point he, I feel he really doesn't have anywhere to go with it. I don't, it, it seems weird. Like maybe I'm sort of willing to concede that maybe 178 was in order for it to land where Reed defeats the brute and the brute ends up in the negative zone. It would have to be a wildly different issue than the way it was. Cause it just wouldn't land at all. And I can see your particular feelings that it doesn't, land here and I which I get but there's part of me where it's like as an idea that has been percolating for a hundred plus issues part of me's at first really excited that it's out there um but then I totally get what you're saying with the the rest of it is all just playing for time at that point I don't think Thomas wants to be on the book I think he likes the idea of he likes the idea that he set up, but he either didn't think it through or, well, he didn't think it through because I think he thought he was going to be leaving and he, he really just is not focused on it. He's, his brain yeah, is going it, like a nine million other ways. Th so. This entire arc mm -hmm. feels, I mean, staggeringly unfocused mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a way that nothing else in the series has felt so far. And this series has felt like a mess before, mm -hmm. but this arc is just yeah. crazily all over the place. Even before you get four different writers trying to close it off. Yes. When it's just Thomas, it's still like, what is this arc actually about? Yeah. Because the robot stuff really does go nowhere. Yeah. It um, really does. The, it, yeah. the, the brute subplot is barely a subplot. Yeah. Because right. you basically have him going, I can't see them letting me look at the negative zone to see where Reed is, cuts to Reed. Yeah. And then you'll cut to Sue going, oh, Reed's seeming really weird like he's evil. Right. And I think this I, is where Roy Thomas is like, this is a great hook. I'm looking forward to passing to this off to this. someone. Yeah. And he's kind of, I think he's he's aware when he actually has to stay and do it is like, Oh, I, I kind of grew all these characters past this. I can't have Sue not know. Like, I mean, you know, he's clearly, you still kind of get a scene that is, where Sue's basically like, Oh, maybe he's just a bit tired. Right. And uh, which, and, which again, you know, like you said, that's ridiculous. Yeah. The reader automatically is like, Oh, come on. Yeah. The re really? well, you don't recognize that your husband has been replaced by an evil duplicate. Well, because because again, Thomas knows what he knows what is what is fraught. He knows that he's like, I've got to have evil Reed Richards go to bed with Sue Storm. I've got to have Reed Richards basically cuckold himself. Uh, and you get those panels. You know, you've got Sue in her nighty, and Reed's there asleep, and she's like. Uh, that is not the same Reed Richards I married. And 
And it's very ambiguous as to what's happened or why it's happened, you know? And it would, it would even be one thing if, if the Reed Richards that was the brute is suddenly acting more like the Reed Richards that I, you know, completely loathed during the first 125, 130 issues of this title. But well, he's that would not be, even that. that. Great. Right, exactly. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that would be so fun. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. Reed, if evil Reed Richards was Reed Richards as, as we knew him. Yes. Yeah. You know what? That's a great hook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but you can't do that. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's... That's lampshading a bit too much. Yeah. That's going, oh, that's right. Right. Your hero was actually a dick. Yeah. But I think I think that if there's ever a place you can pull that off, is it seems like an extension of where the negative zone has kind of been pointing to all this time. And Thomas is aware of it. But whether it's because he's a super fan, he's not interested uh, you know, checked out emotionally or some other factor. And I think it's a combination of all of them, including that one factor I can't wrap my brain around. He doesn't want to do it. He just does not want to do it. And between that and the fact that for me, and I know that you disagree, we've had all this stuff that's come along where he's like, I'm I'm doing this and I'm putting this little clever Byzantine half spin twist. But by the time that you get uh, Johnny and Ben lured into the negative zone and their cables cut and floating in space and they have to, you know, save and team up with a powerless Aeneas and Reed Richards, you're like, there's, there's so nothing new there. And I have to say, I know you like Ron Wilson, but for me, his storytelling is where is part of where things break down because honestly it looks fine and it's um you know his design for his pages are actually really clean and clear but i don't feel for me that wilson has enough he's you know he's kind of like the poor man sal basima for me which is part I'm, of why I've, I've got to be honest, Jeff. I enjoyed Bushima and Wilson more than I enjoyed Perez and these issues. Yeah, I can believe that. I can believe that because I know you're not much of a Perez man anyway. So I, I just I prefer their storytelling. I think their pages are much less busy, and I think that they're they're basically they are more in the quote unquote Kirby school. Mm-hmm. They they are they are, have clearer storytelling, and their pages are less. Uh, overly busy okay so, so i i i'd rather have them well that's Sorry. great graham i i look forward to the day where uh <laughs> the mad thinkers android returns you know like and again <laughs> a green-skinned animal from the muppets to lead his own book uh for you know marvel <laughs> it's it's going to be a, really? a are, banner are you, day for you are you dissing salvashima are you you know I love Sal Basima. That's, I absolutely that's what I'm do. saying. Really? You're dissing Sal Basima? I've seen Sal Basima and uh Justin are such it's such an odd pairing. Yeah. It's yeah. such an odd pairing. Because you get every now and again you get the Bashima-ness. Yes. Like in, in one eighty two when Sue is fighting the brutes and he turns into the brute, mm-hmm. only Sal Basima could show could draw the panel where he becomes the brute. Like only him. That's such a Sal Basima panel. Uh, but think. there's other 
It's uh, 182. It's page. If you're looking at GITs, it's page uh, 26. Oh, yeah, I've got it. Oh, yeah, I totally see what you're saying. And you're right. That one and the other one that also is when there's the building, the new budding subplot that is Agatha Harkness being attacked by anonymous cultists. That is so Sal Basima. Oh, my God. But but if you look also in 182 at the page where the Mad Thinker reveals himself. Mm Mm-hmm. That's that could be anyone inked by Joe Sinnott. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you know what I mean, like there's there's nothing Salbusima-ish about it. It's really really strange. There's moments where Sinnott completely overwhelms Basima, and there's mm-hmm. moments where Basima completely overwhelms Sinnott. Mm-hmm. And 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 their art just feels like a struggle, as opposed to like Wilson and and Sinnott, where Wilson is so, Lord love him, generic an artist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that the Senate just rolls. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, 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 no. Agreed. Yeah. It's so, so like, and it's funny that you're like, you like Marvel 2 and 1. Ron Wilson is maybe my least favorite thing about Marvel 2 and 1. Well, I, I just know that is, you've talked about Ron Wilson recently. So I just, he I'm is sure. just, uh, uh, I feel like he's like the, the definition of journeyman artist. Do you know what I mean? Like, especially by the time you get into the eighties and he launches the, the thing book. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, if ever I've thought that an artist was, uh, outclassed by everyone around him. <laughs> uh, and, and I kind of love that about him, but yeah, when he, when he's with Senate, it's just like, Oh, it's, it's, it's just an inking, just an inking, a an artist. <laughs> Yeah, I, I yeah exactly, an artist exactly, and it, and to the extent that again, Senate has become the defining staple, the the glue that that sort of holds the FF title together at this point. Mm-hmm. In that sense, I think that Wilson, like you said, if you're going by that regard, yeah, there's there I can see the quote unquote appeal. You know. Well, what it, what it really is for me is uh, Wilson really does have. Uh, I'm trying to think of a way of saying this that sounds both complimentary and insulting, and not just insulting. But Wilson's Wilson's layouts are basic as fuck. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like he does not do anything extraneous at all. Mm-hmm. So you get a remarkably clear basic storytelling with Sinanks, and mm-hmm. that's attractive to me. Especially after after Perez being like, what if I do seven panels in this page? And you know the panel that's got the most action? I'll make that small so that I can have something <laughs> open-mouthed at it. <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, oh, fucking George Perez. Ah, really? yes. yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, like it's, it's, Wilson is such ref- so refreshing to me because there's nothing to him. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's oh just so Oh, my God, busy. Graham. I so, really do. I'm just like, that... Like to parse the 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 everything in that that statement without it turning into an enormous fight between the two of us is, I think, <laughs> no, impossible. No, but, no, yeah, but, like people who love Perez love Perez, and Perez does Perez really well, right? Uh, Wilson is, I think you'll agree, the anti-Perez. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, for someone who doesn't like Perez, right, Wilson is genuinely a breath of fresh air for me. Yeah, I get it. I I do get it. I do want to say you didn't comment on the one part of the 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 special return in issue 182 that I thought that you would uh that I thought you would at the very least give a shout out to on this podcast. I uh, you're going to have to remind me. What is the title of 182 gram? 
Oh. <laughs> what is funny is when I wrote this down before the, we started recording, uh-huh. I was like, oh, I have to I have to point this out to Jeff. And then completely forgot. It's called, if you're Jeff, enter the man thinker. If you're me. It's called, as if the FF didn't have enough to worry about, enter the man thinker. I was so I happy for you when I saw that. I you know? I really did enjoy mental scripting these last two issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Plot, the plot is 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 a fucking mess, mm-hmm. but uh, I I just enjoy mantle scripting. You know, Jeff, I enjoy Mantle's Spider Man. I as you know, I love Mantle's uh, Micronauts. Right, Mantle is just like it. it Mantle is the Salbashima of scripters at Marvel. Yeah, I I think there's something to it, but honestly. I do. I appreciate because I forget. Isn't one of these issues? I want to say issue one eighty one is by. Oh shit! Maybe not. Wasn't there an issue that was scripted by? Oh, they were both done by Mantlo. I thought no, Len no, no, Wein no, was no. one Con, of them. Con, Conway does. Um, uh, yes, he does the first four pages or something or something. Yeah, of one seventy nine. He, he does, does. He does. He interestingly enough plots all of one seventy nine and scripts first three pages. Right. Right, so it's very, very, very weird little mix. Um, there's something. So yeah, I agree. Actually, I I prefer. I think I prefer Mantlo to Ween or most of Wolfman when it comes to when it comes to this era of the fanta- of Marvel superheroes, especially the superhero-y type stuff. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Mantlo, Mantlo does. He he works for me. He works. In fact, this is not Baxter Building related enough. But I finally got to the part in the Marvel Masterworks Champion stuff where Mantlo takes over from Tony Isabella, and I'm like, yeah, you know, fucking Mantlo. I you Mantlo, know, Mantlo's really good. Mantlo yeah. is really underrated. He he really is. He just does not get enough love. I think be, for a variety of reasons, but it's you know it's it's kind of a shame. I I agree. Part of me was kind of oh it, that's what it is. It was these two issues I enjoyed, and then we're not discussing it. But I read issue one eighty four, which, which is, is scripted by Len Wein, and I'm like, oh god, that's where it really craters for me. Is that yeah? It's 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 you're one hundred percent correct. Yeah, it is a an amazingly it's it's funny because as you know, I don't like these issues for the most part. Yeah, um, and the Ween issue is like because I read one eighty four thinking it was the final issue, mm-hmm. uh, and I was just like, oh, ending on a low point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Ba- bad run, I, mm-hmm. but ending on a low point. But well, um, mm-hmm. but uh, so okay. So when we started recording, even before we started recording, mm-hmm. uh, I said that these were not good issues, mm-hmm. and you were basically like, "You and me are gonna have a fight." Yeah, I feel that now that we've talked about them, mm-hmm. I think to an extent we've both come around a bit. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you are more agreeable with me that basically these are not great. Like there are moments that you really like, but overall these are are kind of. You'll agree that both storylines end terribly. Yeah, but both storylines end terribly. But the point is, is that you. So, for example, you think that one seventy one through one seventy five is is 
pretty much trash top to bottom no, I, I, with I a certain one, amount of 172 I think one, or something. Yeah, I think 172 through 175 is trash. I think yep. 171 is fun. And much like 177 through 183, I think 177 is fun and then the rest is trash. See, so, so I – Of the 12 issues, not right. including the reprint, like I think three of them are good. Right. And I think that the – for me um, – of 171 through 175, I think 175 is terrible, but I I like 171 through 174, and I like we both like 176. Uh, I like we both like 177. I like 178, which you do not. I like most of 179, um, even though it starts kind of circling the toilet. The whole thing basically falls to hell but even as it does i enjoy mantlo scripting on like 182 and 183 and um and there's little there again there's little bits and pieces that i didn't go into like i said i had a lot more to say about the impossible man so i liked his continuing appearance throughout i you know it's a shame that the the love quadrangle was so discarded as an idea again something that i think thomas was like oh yeah i always wanted to do the thundra love triangle you jam it in there and then it's like but it's so it's so dashed off and forgotten about but but i think for me by that point i'm like oh and again reed richards and the negative zone stuff so yeah, I think the difference is Graham is is that maybe, you know, when we walked into this, you're like, ah, they're kind of all terrible, and then you're like, okay, three out of the twelve are fine, and I was like, oh, these are all great, and I'm like, eh, you know what? Three out of the five are terrible. Eight, eight or nine out of the out of the twelve are great, are good, you know, and some are great. So, so I think we're still like, I think you and I gave ground. But not nearly as much as you would make it sound. But like. isn't giving ground what it's all about, Jeff? Finding yeah. that mutual ground. <laughs> fi- finding the space to agree. And not just have a, a civil war. <laughs> not just have a fight, Jeff. Isn't that what it's about, really? I think that's really... I think we should take a moment and really think about that. Do I have to keep thinking about it? Was that was that a long enough? I moment? said I said a moment, not even a minute. I said it fine. Jesus Christ! <laughs> uh, what, okay, next time. We, yeah, <laughs> next time. How how far do you want to go? Because part of me wants to go to two hundred. I think so too. Let's do one eighty four through two hundred. That's that's a bunch. That's that's like seventeen comics, Jeff. Yeah, I know, I know. But the the fact is, from my memory, uh, there, there is at least one reprint in there. Right. There's one deadline doom. There might even be like deadline and a half doom. You know what I mean? Like sort of no pun intended. But yeah, there's maybe a reprint and a half maybe. I just don't think I – like I said, I remember these when we were talking about it, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of excited to read these. And I enjoyed them more than you did. The stuff that's coming up is stuff that I – I remember fondly that storyline leading up to 200. Um the you know band falls apart get the band back together reread them a few years ago and i feel very comfortable in saying i don't think we're going to disagree nearly as much next time on how let's, we feel about the issues come on let's let's speed through them there is some crazy uh creative shenanigans coming up mm-hmm. uh there i uh, mantlo definitely returns at some mm. point 
Yes. But doesn't, doesn't Keith Pollard return for a while as well? Oh, yeah. Pollard. It's Pollard. I want to say it's Pollard and Wolfman. I could be wrong, but uh, I feel like Wolfman it, it, comes it, in soon and Mantlo doesn't get very Mantlo, long. It's like a couple of issues or something. Yeah. Uh, I think he gets the return of the Element Man. Or who's the guy that was like uh, the Sue and Johnny's dad? The that that oh, character. The, the um the I was gonna say the impossible man. The invincible man. The invincible man? The invincible man? Is that what he is? Am invincible? I making that up? No, I, I don't can... remember. You know the guy who basically is dressed as like Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I totally remember. He, yeah. Um I anyway, there are some there's some interesting shenanigans in the, the upcoming issues. Also, the return of Doctor Doom. Yes. And in Fantastic Four Two Hundred, I believe and I could be wrong, but I'm fairly sure this is true the first ever extra sized anniversary issue centenary issue in comics mm, wow I, I think it's the first time any publisher did an oversized issue for a centenary issue mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. completely random piece of gossip uh, not gossip uh, trivia there uh, and one I don't think any of us are going to enjoy also doesn't the thing like the FF definitely break up in this next batch of issues but doesn't the thing turn back into Ben Grimm again I I, I, I honestly can't remember it would... a month, everyone yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll all find four, out together 184 through 200 um, and if Jeff's not looking forward to it because I honestly feel that you have been the optimistic one where I've been like, oh, we're heading into badness. And you're like, no, no, no. It's going to be fine. <laughs> I feel like we've gotten to the point where you're like, no, this is going to be rough. Yeah. Then, then man. Well, that, like I that, said, that, yeah. That's mm-hmm. all. <laughs> yes. Um, but we'll see, everyone. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe there will be a lot to to discover if nothing else will be have crawled that much closer to the burn issues which i know makes graham very happy indeed so it's it's the st- it's my version of your these issues for you yeah it's stuff i remember growing up on right and Did also you... i feel like i reread them relatively recently and liked them mm. like a few years ago mm-hmm. we'll we'll see cuts to me six months later being like these are all shits <laughs> Talking about what? Well, we're actually coming up in two episodes. We will get to the point where young Jeff drops the book. So, I mean, oh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's I'm not sure. If only we could time travel and (laughs) and ask young Jeff exactly what he was thinking. I think I think young Jeff's going to remember. So it'd be very curious to see to see see what happens. How old Jeff feels? (laughs) Oh man, yeah, exactly. Old Jeff is just going to feel very, very, very tired. Uh, Grams, do you want to start uh, setting up yeah, the... Uh... I, let's, let's wrap things up, everyone. Uh, we are a Patreon-supported podcast. The Baxter Building exists because we uh, have really incredibly generous uh, Patreon supporters. This was a, a tier that, that we achieved based upon the kindness of strangers. Except you're not really strangers. You leave notes in the comments and you email us and you say hi on Twitter. So... Hi, all Patreon supporters. Because I've said Patreon, Jeff Lesser should step in. Yes, I should. Although I feel that you've said the important bulk of my uh, first rambling half. So let me just cut to the second rambling half. And uh, 
although we, again, owe a debt to all the patrons on Patreon, we really want to give special thanks to the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios for their continuing support, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, to whom we are deeply indebted uh, for she's, our continued she's not killed as yet. existence. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. We cannot understate the importance of her of her uh, crushing paw. The, the... Every, let's be honest, every single week we live is is really down to her generosity. Yeah, absolutely. It, it could have gone so horribly, horribly the other way. Boy, and how. And how. Right? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, we are available all over this goddamn internet. I should have said GD internet. <laughs> let's, let's go with it. We're available all over the GD internet. There you go. <laughs> Man, we're getting punchy. Um you can find us at waitwhatpodcast.com. That is a website where uh, there are written posts to support all the Baxter buildings and also all the Wait What episodes. There's also written posts of a different type, reviews, uh, recaps, and arguments by Mr. Jeffrey Lester, by myself, and by Mr. Matt Terrell. I recently put up uh, everything I thought about the July rebirth issues from DC, and I'm going to be doing the same for August's rebirth issues very soon. Ooh. Jeff, you, oh, are you excited? I am. As, as you know, All Star Batman is is part of those issues. Oh man, that's exciting. Oh, as is uh, Blue Beetle. Spoilers, everyone. Blue Beetle's actually really good. <laughs> Just going to leave that out there. Um, we are also on Tumblr. Waywatpod.tumblr.com is filled up with, from me, absolutely random images that are connected with comics. From Jeff, occasional reviews that he just sneaks in, which is kind of great. I love. Um, and also screenshots of what Jeff has been reading, including, it turns out, Fantastic Four issues. Okay. We are on Twitter. At WaitWhatPodcast is the Twitter address for the show Twitter. Jeff is on Twitter solo at LazyBastid at L A Z Y B A S T I T. I am on Twitter solo at Graham M at G R A E M E M. Uh, that is where you can find us all across, as I said, the GD internet. If you are looking for other places to hear the podcasts, depending on where you're hearing this right now, we are available on iTunes. We're available on Stitcher. You can leave us reviews and let other people hopefully. Find us as well and maybe enjoy us. Uh, you can get the RSS feed from waywallpodcast.com. And you can also listen to us directly on waywallpodcast.com as well. Whichever you want to listen to, there, there's just four ways. Of wow. Doing. Just right there. Wow. All right. I, mm-hmm. I, look at us. We're just giving. <laughs> We're just giving, you guys. Uh, we are going to be back uh, with a regular what? Where we're going to be—I uh, was going to say finishing off the questions. Really, are we going to finish them? Who knows? We're definitely going to be answering some more of your oh, questions. Man, we yes. We don't do it any faster. Uh, we're not going to finish. Yeah, we'll okay. see. <laughs> <laughs> don't we still have like twenty-five or something, Jeff? Uh, like, it's, oh, it's. There's look. no way we could do that in an episode. We could. We can. We well. No, well, because we got. Totally, like we only did like five last time. That, I'm not sure if that's really true. Uh, let's see here. Where's, where's round two here? Um, am I gonna get to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten? And I think I think there's one that I haven't added. There's there's so half the amount, Graham. We're gonna get we're gonna plow right through this. Plow, plow through it. 
deeds. I'm you telling just you, tweet, listeners, <laughs> I, you you're going to be excited. We're going to be excited. It's all going to work out really well. Exactly. I'm I am excited. Uh, Graham, on that merry note, I guess. Uh, oh shit! This is a Baxter building. <laughs> yes. I don't say goodbye. You say goodbye, JF, and you do it in a very particular way. Are you ready? I, I do. You cough, out, cough out all the nerves and just take us home. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, everyone, and we'll see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter building. <laughs>